Hello, dear listener. Welcome to Full Metal RPG Presents Fortune Seekers and Grave Robbers. This is Malcolm. I wanted to introduce you to what's coming. I know we promised you last episode that we were going to talk about the scene and the movement of the old school renaissance, and that will happen, but on next episode. On this episode, we're having a conversation with friend of the show, Andrew of Duvelman Dice, about his recently released OSR adventure. We also talk a lot about the differences between old school D&D and the current version. So it's a nice continuation of the first episode. Enjoy! I did work retail through COVID. I was threatened with gun violence nearly daily because I was like, hey, do you guys have a mask? Can you put a mask on while you're in my store? Oh, oh no, no. Instead, you're going to fight me in the parking lot. That's fun. <laughs> Even worse than that here in the States, I think, is like uh, working in a restaurant because the only people who are going to restaurants are like the worst of humanity. And so you're like not getting tips and you're you you get at least one person making a scene every day and just and for the the amount of money that you're making is just not worth all of that hassle. I don't know how anybody is doing that. The same thing was said in Sweden that the tips went down like crazy yeah. during the pandemic and harassment and you know unsafe work conditions reported unsafe work conditions that just skyrocketed. And that was basically my friend said that that says something about the people who actually go out to restaurants during the pandemic, what kind of people that those are. Oh, they don't yeah. tip and they treat people like garbage. Yeah. Well, anybody who was compassionate to the, their fellow man was like, I'm just going to stay home. I don't need to work, eat at a restaurant. And if I do need to order food, I'll just do the grab it and go or delivery, like the minimal contact stuff. I think that the people who work, at least in Stockholm, that I've seen people who work in pubs, they are no nonsense people now. Yeah. They will throw you out for nothing. I suppose people who went to pubs were like, you know, not so much in Sweden that they were anti-vaxxers. They're risk takers of nothing else. So they go to the pub, even though it's a pandemic, there's not a lot of people there. They drink alcohol, they get more lax, they, they think things are fine. They stop taking care of themselves and thinking about what's appropriate. And of course, if you work with bars and you have a bunch of drunk people, you're already, you know, attuned to smacking people down. <laughs> but now it's like, now you have to be careful. People have been working at pubs, they've really learned how to, you know, they don't take no shit anymore. They have had to deal with so much garbage. <laughs> so they're like, their tolerance levels are super low. Yeah, it's like, come on, you're not even the first person today that's acted like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. It's the latest episode of the podcast, Fortune Seekers and Grave Robbers. I'm called Malcolm, and I'm here with my co-podcast host, Gabe. Hello. You can go with a fellow role player, fellow OSR nerd, whichever. The Transatlantic OSR Boys. That's <laughs> yeah. the name for our new podcast. Um, but yes, it is a special episode for me um, because my good friend and editor for the project that I am on, Duvelman Dice. There's a beer, Duvel. Duvel. It's Flemish, but yeah, that's that's my my real name is Andrew Duvall, and so the Duvelman is a uh, is a nickname uh, high school buddies called me. 
We are celebrating not only his creative mind, but also the release of his OSR module, um, the Temple of Loka, correct? Correct. Correct. And you can find that on Exalted Funeral. Um, I mostly would love to just hear about the development of this, your thoughts on OSR. Um, it's just pretty much just a fun conversation podcast. We've talked about how we got into D&D uh, and OSR in general and just, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, so you want to just tell us a little bit of, you know, how you got on into OSR, what attracts you to it, and then we can get into your module that, you know, you gorgeously put together, I want to say, but that's, that's for later. Let's, let's talk about uh, the man behind the, the module. So, yeah, so I'll start from the beginning. I'll just give my brief, like, my history in RPGs and stuff. Uh, I am a middle-aged white guy who grew up in the 90s. I'm a 90s, 80s baby. Um, but I started playing D&D in second edition in, like, 94. There was a starter box set called First Quest that came with, like, an audio CD where, like, the big bad evil guy was, I think it was Macho Man Randy Savage was like who did the voice but yeah so i played second edition um all the way through i graduated high school in 2002 so right about the time third edition i kind of fell out of rpgs i kind of did the girls in rock and roll and partying for a while that, that always happens because D is lame and you're just like you're like oh i don't want anyone to know about that and then the older you get you're like man fuck it <laughs> i'm a really big nerd <laughs> Growing up, I had two main groups of friends and I had like the really dorky friends like I was in speech and debate in high school briefly and like so I had that group of friends. But the kids I actually like the neighborhood kids I grew up with were all kind of skater punk party kids. And as we grew up, the skater punk party kids seemed way cooler to hang out with than the, the dorky kids did. So I fell out of the RPG scene, that sort of stuff. I was more of a video gamer. So I played all the all that third edition Bioware games, uh, Neverwinter Nights, all that kind of stuff. And then I fell into back into it about the time fifth edition was coming out. I was working at a restaurant. I was a cook and a bartender. And I was like, hey, we should get a little group together. I bought the Pathfinder first edition starter set that's when i found the youtube sites like matt coville like i think critical role the very first season when it was still like really rough and it was a bunch of people kind of around like a conference table in a brightly lit studio for their first couple of episodes but i tried to get a gaming group together then and then covid my brother was like hey some of some of my friends have been playing uh magic the gathering illegally online using like proxy sites uh do you want to jump in <laughs> on that and i'm like yeah that sounds kind of fun i'm just naturally terrible at card games so like even as a diehard wow fan i can't play hearthstone because i just i can't even win i cannot win against a computer <laughs> and that's like the saddest thing okay. so like i wish i could get into mtg and play with all my buddies but i just I'm awful. Yeah. Like really you're just playing bad. Counter Strike by yourself with the bots on easy mode and still like not doing well. Yeah, Counter Strike's <laughs> different. I can hang in Counter Strike, but yes, yes, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> Would you say that it was the crunchiness of like Pathfinder and stuff that attracted you to OSR? Like, how did you first find out about OSR? 
yeah, so I got the starter sets. I could never put a game together. I started playing Magic the Gathering online with my brother and his friends over the pandemic, and that turned back into, hey, we should play D&D. Well, when you say that in 2020, you mean 5th edition. So I bought the three core books. It was a group of four of us, and we just had a set night. Friday at 11 o'clock is D&D night. We show up every time and then we would rotate GMs. So we would all have like a little campaign and it was kind of who is ready to run and who has the lowest like anxiety about running. I started a little mini 5e campaign for myself and I played in a couple others. I I bounced hard off of the the character creation part of of fifth edition, mainly because of the amount of books that you needed. It was just so expansive. And in order to legally own all of the books for the options that everybody else was... So, so to like have a character that kept up with the power creep of everybody else, you Xanathar's really needed to be able those. to pull correct from all of those expansion books. And to own them, you're looking at like a $400 buy-in at this point. Hmm. And so I was like, I don't really like that. I'm not really a big fan of like the Marvel extended universe superheroes, that sort of stuff. Like I liked comic books, but I was more into the like the art and the physicality of the comic book necessarily than like wanting to play a superhero that could never die. And fifth edition is kind of focused on these. Like I describe it as like you're playing the Avengers. You're these super high powered. You have crazy abilities out of the gate. It's hard for you to die. And then the 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 vibe is just you're saving the world. Whereas in second edition, it was the vibe of most of that game was more like I describe it. Indiana Jones, uh, that scene where he's got the bag of sand with the gold statue and that whole sequence of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it also seemed like. 5e for a player seemed to be a lot focused on figuring out a sweet build and like making these like combos that just made your damage output just get crazy and crazy like there seemed to be this like how do we mess with these numbers to like break the game you know i would much rather any of my time spent thinking about my character should happen at the table like with people like it should all be what we're playing and like i'm not really a person who builds like a 20 page backstory like it shouldn't my character shouldn't show up to the game cooler than anything he does in the game so some of those aspects i i really bounced off of and when i found questing beast on youtube speaking of how like my whole rpg revival came from youtube so i i i bounced off of 5e i initially started looking at maybe just repurchasing the the second edition books and just running a 2e game for for these guys and i i don't remember exactly when <clears throat> i i found the osr but as soon as i found the old school renaissance scene i'm like oh it hits that nostalgia thing a little bit but more so was like yes this is when i'm when i was thinking all these years i wish i could play this game again this is what i was thinking about not the 5e games that i was playing so once I was into that, then it was it was off to the races. I, I was in the same boat. I, I love 5e, but like like you, I have my not only gripes, but like problems with the system, too. And when I finally did find OSR um, and started like getting heavy into it, it's like it literally is the game that I've been waiting for. Um, 
in contrast to you wishing you had that game that you played as a kid, for me, it was, I like that this game is as brutal and as dungeon crawly as it is. Like this is the game where if you don't check the hallway, your baby of like three years is just toast. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I like that. Um, Monster seems so much more dangerous in OSR too, which kind of combats that power curve you were talking about. Even from like remembering back when, from the second edition was uh, as a kid, the, there was always this fun aspect of like, not necessarily that your characters were like throwaway, like it doesn't matter about them. You just get them killed or whatever, but there wasn't the preciousness to your character. I mean, not to constantly use critical role as like the only D and D touchstone, but like the scenes and the, and from that, when a character like even just goes down and has to start rolling their their death saves, you know, it's like this big deal and like, oh my god, this we won't have this character anymore. Whereas, like in, in the older games or even my my OSR campaign that I was playing, that this module we're going to talk about comes out of. We built a, a graveyard and we used funny epitaphs, you know, like here lies Joe, you know, <laughs> here lies Joe number two, here lies Joe number three. And it turned into uh, when a character would die, the other players would come up with the funny tagline to to remember like how they died. Uh, I had a player who tried to steal like the electric plate from from clearly like a Tesla coil trap. And he was just like, I'm going to take, oh, it's made out of like gold. Like, let me take the gold plates out and just, you know, rolled a humongous pile of D6s as damage. And so like that was one of the first. And so he when he came back to the next session, had a whole family tree of characters that he was like, oh, cool, damn. man, I, I figured it out. So like this guy died and then like his cousin is like going to replace him. And we're just now I have this whole family tree thing. But, yeah. So there's. Like those kind of like little aspects of, of some of the. And that's stuff you can only get yeah. in old school. Oh, and if anybody doesn't know, the OSR is old school renaissance, old school revival. There's a couple of different definitions for what the letters mean, but it's essentially trying to revive the like original 70s and 80s versions of Dungeons and Dragons, or at least elements of those play styles. It's kind of gone from initially it was just. Let's remake those games one for one in a new era. But it's since my interest in it, at least, has gone into like, let's not lean into the nostalgia, but let's like take that as a this game style as a jumping off point where the games are more like cool takes on roguelikes more than like recreating like rogue again over and over and over again. My own uh, journey to the OSR was via roguelikes because I had played games with insta-death and realized that, oh my gosh, if I feel a real attachment to a character and the more I play it, the more scared I become because I'm going to lose this character eventually, that really changed my entire viewpoint on how role-playing could also be. I'm from Sweden and we love the classic character depth and creating a character with backstory and role playing and and having a, a story quote unquote story with an arc and after playing those kind of video games i felt like oh my god is there a scene that actually tries to replicate this within rpgs because i also started with second edition dnd and i never really second edition has the same rules as the old school version but the books were huge lore dumps or uh, really railroaded stories. So that's how I was I, I was introduced into D&D. &D. So I never knew how 
the sandbox or the dungeon could be a core element in role-playing. So when I found all that together at the same time, I was like, oh my gosh, this is something I have to get into. Wanna tell us about your module and who it's for, what system you had in mind for it, if you had any. Give us an idea of what people can expect if they were to pick that up. So speaking of the OSR scene, I'm really big into hex crawls. And hex crawls need a lot of small bite-sized chunks of content that you can just drop plot points and enough to get the players to like interact with the thing, but not necessarily something that's going to have a larger overarching story. And so one of those particular encounters, I just fleshed out uh, farther uh, into the desiccated temple of Loka, which is the module that I wrote. It's statted out for old school essentials, which is a, like a modern, edit of the old basic expert like the red box edition of dungeons and dragons but yeah i I just wrote a little short adventure um in my initial run through of it and the couple of play tests that i've done it's one shot two shot it takes about six hours takes about six hours for people to play through it the players find a long abandoned completely dried out aquatic temple just the kind of vibe you would find in something that was once like this deep sea, you know, fish gods temple and now is in the middle of a desert. I love your isometric maps. Um, I think they they fit the entire aesthetic and just like the, the mood of it so perfectly well. <laughs> the module itself, especially if you buy the physical copy, there's a center spread that has uh, a map with all the keys around it flat page where everything you need to run the adventure is right like that the physical copy is a landscape so you can pop that page out and it acts like a little mini like a gm screen i had a lot of fun trying to mess with the uh the physical nature of some of this the stuff like there's paper craft tokens all of the monsters the inside of the back cover so the hardest like paper stock have you can color in cut out and i have little instructions on how to make these little little paper craft tokens for all the monster encounters that will fit on a one inch grid that has that's a callback to 1e right when they would come with everything all in one yes yeah, so that's kind of a second edition is famous for having all of their their expansions be these like giant box sets with multiple little books and then like tons of handouts um i think i still have our copy of council of worms it's like the dragon expansion for second edition and yeah that has like maps and handouts and like all these like scrolls and all kinds of cool stuff i was trying to think how can i bring those vibes to like the osr zine scene cuz the zine scene is all about keeping your print costs as absolutely low as possible. Like how can you just have these little, these little mini magazines, you know, a couple of pages printed out somewhere as cheap as you can. I'm like, well, how do I get all these handouts and cool stuff at the table? That's cool. Is the cover stapled onto the, or is it just totally free? No, the cover is stapled. All of it's just stapled through the, the GM screen, the removable part is the, the centermost spread. So when you open up the book in half where the staples are exposed, so you can just, you know, open up the staples and that whole page will pull out. And I made sure on the the book cover, the part where you cut the paper craft tokens out, you're not removing anything from the back. And then the page in the zine that you expose is also not important. So if it gets 
scuffed up or whatever on your bookshelf. It's not like you're not losing important information. Like there was a lot of, I spent a lot of time with a bunch of papers in front of me. Like, all right, how do I, how do I maximize this without, without (laughs) compromising the book? I love player friendly (laughs) elements like that. Um, Especially when, uh, when it shows that the author has thought about that. Cause I think like my biggest gripe with things is like having to do the four five, six page flip to, to check charts and stuff. And I know that's something that for my book, I'm trying to resolve and we have like different ideas on how to do that. So to think of a book that's that effective when that forward thinking for players that want to experience it, you know, with the tokens and all that is really nice. Cause it, it is a bummer when they include something like, Oh, here's the paper craft tokens and whatnot. But you're like, but then I'm going to cut out all the like introduction, you know? So in my life, I never do things the easy way. This is my very first like publication period. My first like official like RPG output. But so like I'm, I'm teaching myself the layout software from scratch instead of just plain text headers, maybe a picture here and there. I'm like, how do I, uh, if you're looking at the module, the text is all color coded. So when I talk about an item, that item is the, the font style is a code. So when you're just glancing at the page of text, you're like, okay, so that's an item. The color tells you if it's in a monster, if it's a magic item or if it's treasure, the room descriptions are color coded by like, this is just a treasure room or this is mostly a monster room. That's great. That helps the user or the reader or the GM to, to organize and find stuff. Yeah. There was a lot of thought at trying to make this the easiest. I have really bad ADD. So there was a lot of thought of how to make this easily usable at the table. So the, cause the idea again was this is. It was really meant as a drop-in, low or no prep encounter. That was also, from my home group, our kind of style was very seat of our pants. Um, The players that I played with are super chaotic. Like, we tried running the uh, Icepire Peak adventure from the 5th edition starter box, and that we i just took the whole thing crumpled it up and threw it away after like the first npc they talked to <laughs> this whole thing was meant to to just be like you could just pick it up off your shelf like my players are doing a thing they wander off into like a deserty area or i just need something to do let me just grab it and i'm going to play it as i'm reading it to you i don't need to do any kind of stuff ahead of time so yes a lot of effort was put into the quick use it's nice when someone comes out with a module and is like, look, this is made for no prep, <laughs> you know, like, oh, did you forget to prep or did your players just, you know, you were heavily leaning towards the spooky sign that says castle with a lot of gold. And they're like, well, let's go to the right. And you didn't think that they were going to do that. Here's a module for that. Players are famous for like, hey, there's the big bad evil guy. We're going to march towards the big bad evil guy until we're almost there. And then we are going to hard left. <laughs> If I understand everything right, this began as a two-pager in the Knock magazine from the beginning? This was originally, I drew a map that then I just wrote all of the the information I needed as the GM to run the thing um, with like my handwritten notes all around the outside. I had one version where it didn't have all the writing and one version that did. And I just cleaned that up a little bit. Uh, Yeah, so I got Knock number one read that and i'm like this is amazing this reminds me of like the old dragon and dungeon magazines 
because it had like that kind of the little content of here's like a little rule for this and here's a little mini adventure. And if you don't already own the knock magazines and anything we've been talking about so far sounds interesting, stop what you're doing. Go back to Kickstarter for knock number three right now. <laughs> yeah, knock is a, a collection of a lot of original articles, but also a lot of uh, very influential blog posts that have been published through the years. So they're been collecting a lot of them and putting them in this magazine with some really stellar, I mean, f- world-class artwork and releasing them as uh, softcover books. Actually, it's a really thick magazine. I need to, to hop on that. There's number two. That's where I'm in. Page 176 of knock number two is my is the original version of this this module. But yeah, so I got knock number one. I'm like, this is really cool. I wish I was good enough to be in this. Probably the same week I said that I noticed maybe even I got a Kickstarter notice that was like, hey, we're uh, we're looking for submissions for the second one. So I just threw a bunch of material that I had used, like literally just for my players just grab a, a handful of those files and was like, here's what I make. Um, are you interested in any of this? And they were like, oh yeah, this little page here looks pretty good. It's a little rough looking. Can you clean it up a little bit? And yeah, that's the version that's there. And if you take that's I, I included that version in as a page in uh, the desiccated temple of Loka uh, module. So you can see what that looks like. But you can also see how that original style directly influenced what the the nice like text box typed out like layout then looked like. Was there any specific reason you chose old school essentials as the system for your adventure? So the old school uh the OSR scene is pretty infamous for having like f- 15 versions of the same basic game. So in that scene uh, it's usually referred to as BX, but it's that basic expert. Uh, lots of people in the OSR scene have taken that as like the lingua franca and have released that game with some little tiny tweaks. Uh, if you're not familiar with it at all, it's very similar to like the version of Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition that comes in those starter boxes, the basic version. It's most similar to that if people aren't familiar. But anyway, so there's since then, there's been everybody has that base game, their little tiny tweaks and they release it. The most current popular version is Old School Essentials. It's laid out really, really nice. It's really clean. It's very clinical. I don't read Old School Essentials and ever get like, oh, I can't wait to run something in it. It doesn't give me any of those kind of vibes. But it is the best reference book uh, for that like edition of gaming uh, that I've come across so far. Old School Essentials, what makes it so good is the presentation. It's like first class uh, layout of the, all the rules and eight rules explanations. And it, the art is incredible. So for nothing else, just to have it as an artifact is, is just great. Yeah. If I'm going to run an OSR one shot, I'm going to use OSE just because I, I like it. It's where I point new players, anybody who seems interested at all in this kind of thing. I usually will point them to uh, Cairn by Yokai Gall, which is like uh, a minimalist. If you're familiar with the OSR scene, it's a mashup between like Knave and Into the Odd. But I, I like that as for for intro players, because just because it's very, very light, there's like no classes. It's it's the, the core mechanics from from the BX, but a little bit later. But yeah, anyways, OSE is a 
one of the best currently produced and supported their modules they're they're like the official adventures from them are really really cool <laughs> no, I, i've told gabe about this that i've really i i think we're in the golden age at the moment with the mm-hmm. with the osr so i love all the rule variations i think it's very interesting but i also love the adventure design like your adventure it's so minimal in what you have to write. You don't have to have an endpoint. You don't have to say to people, this is how you do anything really. You just create a situation and that's enough content with for any DM using the old school play style oh, to yeah. use and just run with it. Yeah, that's that's what I like the most about the minimal rule styles. Like I third edition was like an attempt to try to codify every little piece of thing. And that I think that for me at least, grinds down the ability as a GM to be creative on the fly. Like there had to be a lot more, either you spent a lot of time system mastery, so like you just internalized everything, all of those rules so you could come up with it on the fly, or you had to pre-design so much stuff so it would still kind of fit in into the rules. Whereas with Old School Essentials, there's so much firing from the hip. I there's so much just let's do it on the on the fly. I've had so many players that have come to me and been like, "Hey, I want to play old school. I want to play like you know, give me that 1985 D and D." And like last night, it actually happened. I had a player love him to death. He wanted to try old school, so I was like, "All right, let me let me get you into Morkborg. And if you like Morkborg, then I can take you into OSE and stuff." And his character had a falcon, and he's like, "Cool. Where are the stats for the falcon?" And I'm like, well, there's no stats. Like, what does it tell you? And he's like, well, it tells me that it's loyal to me and then it does whatever I tell it to. And then I can communicate it with whistles. And I'm like, all right, cool. So like, what are you thinking? He's like, well, the walls of this canyon are 30 feet. I have rope. Can I just have my like falcon, you know, grab onto the uh, the rope with its beak and then take it to the top and maybe like wrap it around a tree branch? And I'm like, yeah, I'll have you do a roll for it and see if if it does it, you know? And he's like, okay, well, like, does it have the ability to do that? And I went... We'll My see. guy, <laughs> if you want this falcon to fly around and start whistling your favorite tune, it'll do it. Like that's the glory of this is that we are we are shooting from the hip nonstop. And he like the look on his eyes was like, oh my god, I can do whatever I, I want. I can do whatever I want. I think it's important for players to do that because there are people that like the third edition math finder, which is fun. And then there's people that like the the handholding of 5e. But I think if players experience that vast amount of creativity, they'll bring a lot of that back to their native game, whether it's 5e or third edition or, you know, Pathfinder or whichever. I just, I like that aspect of it. And I think more people need to experience it. Yeah, exactly. I love the inventory or the gear sections in any old school game. It just says a pot doesn't say any rules for the pot you have to figure out why is there pots here why can i buy metal marbles why would you want to have a metal marble you see the players just think oh my god i can buy this and i can use it and there's no rules for it no you just have to find you know uses for it the marbles are super handy oh my gosh and when people find out a bag of flour is one of the most important things to bring down into a dungeon when they figure that out that metal shavings or an ox bladder or whatever those kind of things bearings yeah (laughs) Yeah. all that stuff when when they figure that out you just see the joy and the the creativity just flare up in their eyes they can't really believe that the possibilities all of a sudden 
it's it's funny too when you see like players go into a shop like you said like uh like some type of provision area or whatever and you can tell the old school players because they're like i need a bag of flour ball bearings and a 10 foot pole (laughs) and then it's like the new players are like give me your finest your finest rations that'll last me this journey and i need this and this and then like the fucking osr players like i need salt pork and i need just a fair (laughs) amount to get there and back (laughs) the the old school players are like preppers where they're like all right i'm gonna need how much will it cost me to buy three live hogs yeah exactly i'm gonna wrap 10 feet of fishing line around my wrist i'm gonna yeah dude i take apart my wallet into 10 feet of leather cord i straight up had a fucking player and this is the most like old school thing i've seen in the last couple years he took this is, I don't even know why I was so impressed with it. I think it's because just like the look of it, he didn't have enough gold to get metal darts or even like a, like, what are they? Pittons that you like put into like rock and shit. So what he did is he took a 10 foot pole and then his hatchet and then hacked them into 10 one foot bolts, I guess. And then he took fishing line and he took each bolt that he had like cut out of this 10 foot pole and sharpened them until they were like a straight up, like, like a mini spear. And then he took the fishing line and wrapped it around his wrist and then put all of them there like fucking Batman. <laughs> and we're like, all right, I'm good. And I'm like, dude, that is sick. That's so cool. You know, cause it's, that's the type of OSR thinking because, um, in OSR as well, like, gold matters so much too or silver if that's what you use in your games but i think that those type of interactions and stuff are also lost in newer systems so players should going back to what i was saying earlier come and play an old school game and be like oh you can't afford the battle axe maybe you can jerry rig something that's similar to it but i always find that like you say andy that third edition codified everything it becomes that if you at all creative you're only being suboptimal you're only going to get a bunch of minuses because you want to jump off a table and swing from a chandelier. Yeah. All that becomes like, no, it's best that I actually use my feet and just attack with my feet right. every time. That's the best yeah. thing to do, which is terrible. Yeah. What are the two things my build is good at? And that's, I'm just going to do that. I'm over just going to do that. And over and over and over. And because I'm actively super shit at anything else. Yeah. I, I was wondering, you two that play fifth edition, how... If you were to actually use the real basic PDF, not just the the starter box, but the real basic PDF, which is like 200 pages long, it has no feats. It has only the four core classes. Could you actually get players to play just that version or would they just freak out and bail because they can't be a pally or, or can't have more choices? So this has actually been a conversation I've been engaged in this particular topic. I think the fifth edition basic rules the entire contents of that PDF were in the essentials kit that I have, not the starter kit, which is like the uh, Lost Minds of Foundelver, which only had the pre-gens. That's almost BX-y. One of the big differences with BX versus 5th edition in terms of like dice mechanics that players might be thrown off by is BX is a roll under system. So like when you roll ability check, you're trying to roll underneath of your ability instead of you know, like if you had a 15 strength where you really have like a plus two and you're trying to roll above a certain number, this is like, oh, I just roll a d20 and as long as it's below 15, that succeeded. So there's there's that flip where it's more of like a traditional d20, but I think that basic, I think it wouldn't be that hard to kind of run that in an OSR style. 
like maybe even run OSR modules. I've been wondering about that. I've heard other podcasts discuss this and they say that the basic rules are basically OSR. If you take out feats and you really pull back on the amount of classes you can choose from, then you get a very old school experience. So I was always wondering if, if people would like to play it that way because i understand that proficiency rules are kind of cool and you might like the the magic system more in the modern system compared to the old ones which is a little more unforgiving because i hear no one actually playing the basic set everyone's just playing the core three plus the other two option books yeah like like i said that actually maybe in the last like week or two we've been talking about that so that might be an experiment i'll have to do I'm really sad with the XP system of fifth and not even with the optional rules in the DMG, does it get any better? So that's one thing that I don't know how to fix without putting back the different class XP tracks back into the system. I have an OSR hack my buddy Mm. told me about, if you guys want to hear it. Please. So my friend came up with this. I want to try it. Players hit max level at level five. They no longer gain health. They no longer gain any type of like bonus or anything. It's after your first stat bump, which I think is at level four. Um, And then level five, I think that's when things, or maybe it's seven, doesn't matter. After that, when players level up, they can pick a feat or they can pick, I think it's a spell or something. But what it does is it makes everything hyper deadly because say you have a D12 health, okay? And then you have the average of a 12, I think is like a seven or whatever so then seven plus five that's 35 you have a max of like 47 health roughly to last an entire campaign and it makes everything like so much more deadly like 47 health against like a beholder or even like um uh, like a gazer something you know like a lesser beholder style creature um it makes everything way hyper deadly and i've been wanting him to write for this hack and be like dude so many people would play this because there's people like me that like both 5e and osr i just don't like the softness of 5e players always live and there's that what is it five torches deep that's kind of like taking 5e and and doing some rule changes i I think it decreases the amount of hp that you get it kind of crunches the levels down a little bit but there's that uh, I believe Runehammer has was it like 5e hardcore mode. If you're not familiar, that's the person who wrote uh, the index card RPG. Um, a big YouTuber. Yeah, big YouTuber. Or Professor Dungeon Master, he has a similar hack of 5e to make it a little bit more OSRE. But yes, I actually really liked... I'm disappointed that my that little 5e campaign that I was running out of that Essentials kit kind of imploded the way that it did with the players that i had because i that i was kind of interested in that part of 5e it was when we when you scale it up to the larger game particularly with all the expansion books where it's just like ah one of my favorite parts about the osr or bx is unlike the changes that kind of started happening after third edition a lot of the mechanics are independent so you can pop things in and out going back to the ose recommendations i generally tell people to grab the core book and whatever copy of knock that you can get because you get like the basic rules and then you get this whole book full of like here's a bunch of cool stuff you can just randomly throw into this like here's here's a different way of combat working here's a different way of leveling up working here's a different here's a whole other spell system that we can throw in there and it doesn't break like with fifth edition if i start monkeying with how advantage works there's so many mechanics tied to advantage that 
you can really start breaking aspects of the game you didn't even intend to just because you're like oh yeah i think that this situation should give you advantage and it's like well now you know backstab happens patchwork Um, yeah yeah it's funny because it's like i've used this comparison for video game nerds it's like osr is like the original doom where you can run like a thousand mods and the game still runs but in the new doom that came out like six years ago if you do one mod the entire game shits the bed it's like it's not that that game is bad you just can't mod it (laughs) which is what the game was originally like big for yeah that's why i think the first edition is such and even the second edition is can be osr because you just take things out you don't want segments don't use segments you don't want to use spell components don't use spell components you want to use bx's version of morale instead of ADD's first edition morale which everyone should (laughs) use that instead all those systems are interchangeable and a lot of people did play ADD first edition with like only a fraction of the rules they didn't use everything in the box because it was too difficult to understand even if those systems do work well with each other and there's a reason why grappling is interesting in first edition you just have to learn how to use it and it'll be fun but if you don't want to use it you can just use some other rule instead a good example of the modability of bx in my module and desiccated temple of loca i included i found a mechanic called tension dice i stumbled across it as a uh, an extension like a mod add-on to fantasy grounds so In standard BX, you know, old school essentials, when you do a random monster encounter, you roll a D6 and then on a one, the monster encounter happens. For this module, I use tension dice. So every 10 minutes or if you make noise, you add a D6 to a dice pool. Like at a table, I I literally just make a stack of them. So there's a visual representation of like things are getting worse. And when that stack gets to six... I roll and then the amount of ones that you get increase. So if you, you know, you have your six dice, you roll all six and you have a single one. Well, that's, you know, some kind of bugs, some like little bugs. But if you roll and every single one of them was a six, like something, you know, uh, ant lions or something really big and nasty is coming after you. That was one of my favorite additions to your adventure was the tension dice. I thought that was really cool. I also love the hop from just giant rats to gelatinous cube that's a big leap there (laughs) i love that oh yeah no balance that's the other thing i love about this old school stuff is like i'm never thinking what's a good encounter to challenge the players at this point i can just be like here's the thing put in stuff if it's super gnarly fucking run away from it (laughs) yeah no i the thing i like about the tension dice is it it's a factor that affects the dungeon but doesn't affect it in a way that removes enjoyment from the players or the dm it's a steadfast mechanic that builds releases and then builds again and it's like that's that's the type of engagement that you need in a game for it to be not the same thing over and over and over again using 5e as an example again i've ran fandelver probably like six or seven times and it's the exact same thing every time having a dungeon be fresh without doing what literally every nerd does which is Mine is procedurally generated, and it's like, cool, I can tell that this used the same template. But something like Tension Dice is going to add something that maybe you do get bugs or whatever in the entrance, but those bugs are a billion times worse if you are in a temple or the room with like the fishbowl or something. Maybe they pop out there, and it makes the whole situation way worse. I like additions like that, to where it's something you can read quickly, understand quickly, and you know it's not going to just destroy your, <laughs> your session. But you also don't know what's going to happen. When will these monsters come in? In what room? You don't know. 
No one knows. It could be legendary. It could become really anticlimactic. All of that can happen. And all that all that is interesting. It doesn't become the same thing every time. And many games do this, is that how likely there is to be a wandering monster depends on the dungeon level or the specific room even. In this dungeon, we have tension dice. And if you're transparent with your players about those kind of mechanics, it becomes also a novelty. Oh, what are you doing now? You're not just rolling your d6 or your d8 anymore. Now you're chucking <laughs> a bunch of dice. What does that mean? <laughs> and that's fun. In practical play for this module, I found that for every exploration turn, so for every 10 minutes you're in the dungeon, you're just there's a constant like ticking, just a constant chance that there's going to be something coming. But if you make noise, you add those dice. There's more than one that gets added every one of those like 10 minute intervals. So like, all right, well, it'll be 10 minutes to carefully open the door, like, you know, mess with it and like, oh, it's stuck and we'll try to get whatever is out of the way. You know, that gives you maybe one tension dice, but it takes up this time or you just kick the door in. But that's three of them. Players really start going like, oh, all right, well, we don't really want to roll on that because it gets nasty. And how can we do this? Yeah. Tell us where you can get uh, Desiccated Temple. Yes. Desiccated Temple. Uh, it is currently on Exalted Funerals website as an exclusive. If you're looking for the print copy, that's ExaltedFuneral.com. Uh, I also have a itch page that's duvelmandice.itch.io. Um, you can also linktree slash duvelmandice will get you all of my all of my stuff. I am at duvelmandice on TikTok, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, Instagram. I'm mostly active on TikTok. A and Twitter, a little bit on Instagram, and I post as as Andy Duvall on Facebook if you're in some of the OSR groups. But yes, if you're looking for the module, um, exaltedfuneral.com or my itch page. It's it's fantastic. I I had the the joy of looking at an early copy of it, and I will be adding this to my next Exalted Funeral order. As I typically wait for like ten releases to come out, then I just put one big order in. So. <laughs> and there's not an easy way for me to do this automatically, but anyone who buys a f the physical copy from Exalted, if you shoot me a DM with like a screenshot of the email or, or just a proof that you bought it, I will send you, I generated uh, coupon codes for the itch page. Um, I do sometimes add like VTT capable files and stuff that you won't get if you bought it from Exalted, but shoot me an email and I will get you access to that uh, if you bought the physical copy. Great. I was just thinking about that. I only got the PDF, all that cool stuff, all, the, all those maps. <laughs> but yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, Andy, for joining us today. And uh, everyone, please, uh, if you want to hit us up and talk to us, just join the Full Metal RPG Discord. Me and Gabe are there all the time. Just write to us if you have any feedback or you want to discuss anything more. And uh, we'll hang out with all of you next episode. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, of course. Our pleasure. And done.